is live and underway here on ESPN Plus and live as we have been for the better part of the last three weeks from the capital of Qatar, Doha, on what is quarter final eve here at the 2022 World Cup. Hercules, how are you doing and what are you wearing? This is, I am doing very well. Thank yes. you, my querido Sebastián Salazar. Uh, and this is. Tecos, uh, no, it's not Tecos. <laughs> Come on, Union it could Omaha, be. My, my people, yes. my good people. Show them what you're wearing. Down in Omaha, thank you so much. Uh, and let's go, Tecolotes. Here you go. I, of course, have the uh, Christian Press. What have you done? Anytime oh, that's the one John Strong, when he famously Exactly. Put. Anytime somebody, thank you very much for that. Yeah. Oh. Anytime they put uh, something you said on a shirt, you should probably, uh, wear, should it. probably wear it. Yeah. Just Give me one. I will get you one. Yeah. Uh, they you? make adult sizes? Uh, yes, I think they do. I think they do. I, don't, I didn't buy any, obviously, but they might. Uh, just a heads up for today, I did play soccer this morning. <laughs> Should I cramp up live on air? I need you to just power Can through the segment. Can you very quickly tell me it went well for you? You threw up the last two times. <laughs> Seven jewels undefeated in Qatar. All I'm saying. Oh, really? Seven jewels undefeated Nadem, in Qatar. Nadem was that a uh, kryptonite, I guess. Well, Nadem wasn't, wasn't here. You know, That's he's gone saying. home. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, he couldn't beat us when he was here either. So, uh, but I don't want to talk bad about Nadem now that he's not here. He's a good, good friend of the okay. program here on Football Americas. All right. So coming up, we're going to preview the uh, quarterfinals. Look ahead at both of them. Brazil against Croatia tomorrow as well as Argentina, Netherlands. We got some big news, Herc, uh, for CONCACAF potential participation in the Copa America that's coming up in 2024 and we still have more fallout on the elimination for Mexico at this World Cup as well as the U.S. elimination. Players are starting to talk so we'll dive into some of those uh, comments but let's start why don't we with the news that absolutely shut down hashtag USMNT Twitter on Wednesday night. Uh, as reported by our colleague Jeffrey Carlisle, sources telling ESPN that Greg Berhalter is set to begin discussions on a new contract with the U.S. Soccer Federation. Berhalter was hired in December of 2018. His current deal, as reported by various outlets, will expire at the end of this calendar year. All right, then, for more on this story, why don't we talk to the gentleman who broke it, Jeff Carlisle. You can read his work on ESPN.com. Now, Jeff, I don't know if everybody actually read your work. I think a lot of them probably saw the, the headline there on Twitter. So for those who haven't read the article, why don't you summarize exactly what it is that you reported last night? Well, what I reported is that the U.S. men's uh, national team coach Greg Berhalter and the USSF are set to begin discussions on a new deal. Now, that does not mean that a deal is done or uh, that a decision has been made on whether to retain Greg Berhalter or not. Uh, you know, he's got his eye potentially on uh, some overseas gigs. You know, he's going to weigh his options. Uh, you know, the USSF is going to weigh its options. And then in the coming weeks, you know, they'll, they'll come to a decision on uh, whether to continue this partnership or not. Um, but I will say uh, the USSF is a big admirer of Greg Berhalter's work and the way that he kind of resurrected this program to a degree, uh, built a, a team around a lot of fantastic, talented young players. And uh, they liked the deft hand that he showed uh, in the process of, of leading this team to the round of 16 at the World Cup. So, uh, you know, I think the USSF liked what he did. And, you know, that's the big reason why they're, they're exploring this option of uh, retaining Greg Burrell. Jeff, my hours are kind of weird over here. What was the exact reaction of your article? <laughs> uh, disbelief, anger. Uh, I mean, let's face it. There is a sizable portion of the U.S. fan base that wants no part of Greg Berhalter continuing to, to manage this team. Uh, that, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, for whatever reason, whether it's his affiliation with MLS um, whether it's the circumstances under which he was hired. I mean, let's not forget uh, that his brother was, was still, uh, you know, working for the USSF at the time that he was hired. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, there, there's some baggage that, that Greg Berhalter carries. And, uh, you know, I think there's also a sense that he could have done more with this group of players that, you know, that it, in some way that he's holding them back. So, I mean, the mentions were, were scrolling by at a million miles an hour. And, uh, you know, at one point I just remarked on the ratio 
and how strong it was. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of negative reaction. I mean, you can see, you know, interspersed in there uh, some people who think that, that Berhalter did a good job and uh, that he took this team uh, pretty much to where it was expected. So, uh, again, there's, there's some support in there, but uh, almost universally uh, people are against this uh, particular development. Sebi, I know you're not of this generation. A ratio or getting ratioed means yeah. there are more replies yes. than yes. Um, I think the actual tweet from Jeff was the ratio is strong with this one. So uh, <laughs> is that a Star Wars reference there for my? For, I'm not very generation. That's yeah? of your generation. Okay, okay, you should okay, know there you this. Go. <laughs> um, okay, so after Jeff uh, drops this report and there is the reaction online, there's also a reaction from the U.S. Soccer Federation. They release a statement, courtesy of uh, Ernie Stewart. And here's what it reads. As we always do after major tournaments, we are taking time to reflect. We will conduct a full review with everyone involved as we determine our next steps. We look forward to building off the performance in Qatar and preparing for the journey towards 2026. So it's very interesting, Jeff. They don't really deny what you're reporting, but this feels very much like a response to your report. So what's your interpretation of the statement that we got there from U.S. Soccer? Uh, I think they're trying to convey the message that, you know, they're, they're going to take their time. They're trying to buy some time and um, that, that there's nothing imminent. Um, you know, hey, the holidays are coming up. I mean, Berhalter himself and, and let's face it, a lot of the staff just got done with a, a very intense period of, of games and trying to see how far this U.S. men's national team could go in the World Cup. So, I think a breather is, is understandable and normal. Um, but don't forget, there's also a January camp coming up. Uh, that, you know, it's going to be mostly domestic-based players. And there's two games at the end of the month against Colombia and Serbia. So, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that those concerns should, should uh, overshadow everything else. But, um, you know, I think there is a desire to, to make a decision relatively quickly uh, you know, in the next few weeks. Um, obviously, the holidays will play a part in that as well. Um, so, yeah, I think they're trying to, to buy themselves a little bit of time and, and, and lower the temperature a little bit, uh, given some of the reaction from the fans. So Jeff mentioned there earlier in the interview about kind of how the Federation feels about Greg Berhalter's tenure. Not, not the four games here at the World Cup, but the tenure as a whole. If you were to, Hercules, give him a grade, what grade would you give Greg Berhalter for the tenure as a whole? Do you want me to do A to F or your <laughs> adding of an E like yes. you do back in D.C.? It's a participation trophy Correct. of failure, yes. Uh, it, it would be a B. Okay. Because okay, Greg, Greg could easily come on here and say, I've hit every goal you've asked me. Mm -hmm. Every benchmark that you've asked of me, I've hit. One was get to the World Cup, and the other one was get out of the group. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. They got out of the group phase. They also, in that time won two trophies yep. against a bitter rival. We're undefeated versus a bitter rival. Introduced a whole new generation of players into U.S. soccer and to the pool. There's some good things that he's done, the, the dual national recruitment, all these things. Mm -hmm. Those are benchmarks that Greg Berhalter could hang his hat on, and Greg Berhalter could easily say, I want way more money. Right. That's something right there. But under no circumstances should U.S. soccer immediately try to get something going. You cast that net as far and wide as mm. you can, unlike the hiring process the first time. Right. In this World Cup already, you've seen managers let go. After the World Cup, you're gonna see more managers let go. Take your time, and I don't think they're under any obligation to hire within the next month. They proved already, they've shown it. They went 13 months with an interim coach in Dave Sarikin, and I know Greg was already in place. Mm -hmm. They don't care what happens in that year. They've already shown that you can bypass one year in their eyes, mm -hmm. and they'll be okay. You've got to get somebody to take you to better benchmarks. So U.S. soccer right now, both sides actually right now, should be a uh, let's wait on this type of process. So, Jeff, uh, Herc's giving Greg Berhalter a B. Do you think the U.S. Soccer Federation would give him a higher or lower grade than Herc? I think they would give him a higher grade if they were the ones handing out the grade. Um, again, I think they they appreciate how he handled this group. He appreciates the culture that he was able to establish. 
Um, you know, DeAndre Yedlin was, was quoted as saying, uh, you know, he, he gave Berhalter, you know, high marks for developing a culture in which everybody was pulling in the same direction. And he talked about how difficult that, that is, how it's harder than it really looks. And so I think if you're the U.S. Soccer Federation, you, you are appreciating everything that Greg Berhalter did for you. And let's not forget, Ernie Stewart is a big backer of Greg Berhalter. Um, you know, when, uh, when Berhalter was kind of hitting a low ebb there in 2019, you know, losing the Gold Cup, uh, some really rough results and some friendlies. I mean, Ernie Stewart came out and staunchly defended Greg Berhalter and basically let it be known that, that Berhalter wasn't going anywhere and they weren't going to change coaches in, in the middle of the cycle. So, uh, you know, I think yeah, I think if Ernie Stewart were, were giving out the grade, it'd be like an A-. minus. So, uh, you know, I, I think Berhalter is held in high regard. Um, again, they, they love the way that he – uh, not only dealt with young players, but even at the World Cup, the way he, he made allowances for family time, you know, he allowed the players to kind of enjoy this moment, um, you know, with their loved ones. And, and it kind of took the pressure off, I think. So all these little things. Um, and, and then I'd say another aspect is kind of the, the managing of, of the MLS players with the European-based players. Uh, you know, people that I've talked to said that's kind of a, a tricky thing to manage, just in terms of, of the overall vibe within the team, within you know the overall attitude. So, and they say that Berhalter handled that really well. So, you know, these are all maybe subtle, minor things taken in isolation, but I think they add up to a situ you know uh, a situation where the USSF really rates the job that, that Greg Berhalter did. Jeff, help us understand the process here. Um, who's actually at the table on this decision? We keep hearing the name Ernie Stewart. Obviously, he's going to have a huge say. Is he the only person that takes this decision, or are there others that will be involved in this as well? I'm told that there are at least five uh, people involved in this decision or this discussion, I guess I should say. Um, You've got Cindy Parlocone, the, the USSF president. You've got JT Batson, who's the new CEO. Um, you've got Brian McBride, who's the GM of, of the men's national team. And then you've got an independent director, uh, Juan Uro. Uh, he, again, he, he sits on the board of directors. Uh, I think he's the chairman of the risk and audit committee. I might be getting that committee name wrong, but, um, you know, he, he serves on some important committees within the USSF board. And so he's involved as well. And, uh, but ultimately the board of directors is going to have to make this decision on, uh, you know, the, the final decision on, on whether Greg Berhalter continues as the coach of the U.S. men's national team. So I'd say it starts out as a group of five, at least. And then ultimately the board is the one that uh, will get the final vote and determine whether Greg Berhalter stays or, or, or not. Maybe it's time to take a step back here, Herc, because I feel like we're only looking at this from the Federation perspective and maybe not Greg Berhalter's perspective because we've had Casey Keller on this show who knows Greg very well and has hinted that maybe Greg wants a return to club coaching where he gets to work with guys every day. And when you have a World Cup that could be viewed as a success by many, you might have some, some coaching options in the club world that could be attractive. So, um, Jeff, help us kind of understand that. What, what might some other options be for Greg Berhalter? And then beyond that, how does that impact the timing and, and how this decision might ultimately play out? Well, you know, based on the sourcing that, that myself and Sam Borden have done, um, Greg Berhalter has his eyes on landing in Europe. Uh, you know, he spent a lot of time there as a player. You know, he played in, in the Netherlands. He played in England for a little bit. And he also played in Germany. Uh, and so I, I think the thinking is that, you know, landing in Germany would, would be, uh, you know, something that would be desirable for him. Uh, don't forget, he, he's coached in Europe before. He coached in Sweden with Hammerby. Uh, now, that didn't work out terribly well. That was his first coaching job after playing. Um, but obviously, he, he learned a ton in that experience. And uh, so, you know, it's, I think the point is that Greg Berhalter knows what he's getting into. Uh, you know, and he, it's very much kind of on his bucket list to, to get back to Europe. So, uh, again, we'll, we'll see 
what jobs open up. Uh, we'll see how long he's willing to wait. And, uh, you know, then he can take it from there. That assuming that he decides that he does not want to continue with the, with the USSF. So, you know, there's some things in motion here. There's some moving pieces. And uh, again, we'll just have to wait and see how it shakes out. What do you think? Is he ready for a European coaching gig, Herc? Sure, that's a, that's a wide net. That's, sure, all right, Bundesliga. I don't know. Do I don't think, know if he's do ready for Bundesliga, but I think he does. He's a better club coach than an international coach. Do you think it fits his style? Uh, what are his club titles? No, he's got no At titles. Whatever level, but he's, he's got much at. more experience there. At least oh, there's okay. more data to evaluate. So he's got no club titles, but he's got more international experience, more data. I don't know how attractive he'd be for other, for other entities like a Bundesliga or an Eredivisie or Serie A, Premier, whatever you want a championship, whatever the case may be. What I can tell you is pretty evident that Greg Berhalter may be very keen on this. He bent over backwards during the World Cup qualifying process to a lot of these European clubs. Mm. When the sporting director at Wolfsburg uh, spoke out against John Anthony Brooks, he took him for his word. Uh, when Gio Reyna was hurt at Dortmund mm -hmm. and they didn't want him to play much, he did the same thing. When Thomas Tuchel was worried about Christian Pulisic's participation with the U.S. Men's National Team, there goes Greg Berhalter again, bending over backwards mm. for these clubs. He's obviously tried to maintain and nourish these relationships. For what? Well, yeah. if you're angling at a job, there it is. Okay, so one uh, of the kind of things that was said at the very beginning of Berhalter's tenure, actually Carlos Cordero was still in charge. He talked about the style that Greg Berhalter would bring to this team. And I think beyond that, there was this idea that Greg Berhalter and this young group of players could change the way that the world views American soccer. I want to get Jeff's opinion on that. I want to get, Herc, your opinion on that. But first of all, let's hear an exchange with Virgil van Dyke from his press conference uh, earlier today with a journalist that might just kind of inform us on what the rest of the world thinks. The first game in the World Cup, Netherlands, he played with a strong team with the Argentina. What do you think about this game? Because before he played, the, the team is not... Not strong? Argentina. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that's very disrespectful for you towards those countries that we played in first and foremost. Um, but maybe, yeah, obviously Argentina is definitely uh, the, the, the team with one of the best players of all time in, 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 um, in their team. So maybe that's the reason why you would say that they're the strongest team. But All right, uh, we'll get Jeff's thoughts second. But Herc, I want to ask you first. Interpret that for me, because you saw that quote and you thought it was a shot at the U.S. I might think it's a shot oh, at the... It's a shot at the group that they everybody, have, right? Everybody that they played. They're saying okay. that Senegal wasn't a, a, of caliber. They're saying that Ecuador wasn't a caliber, that Qatar wasn't a caliber, and especially that the U.S. men's national team, the team they just last played, mm -hmm. wasn't of caliber. Of the caliber of Argentina, which is accurate, oh, To right? respect. Like, now you're going to get a serious opponent. Okay? That's pretty much what I'm reading into it there. And, and Virgil van Dijk's comments indicate that, mm -hmm. whereas you've got to respect these countries a little right. bit more. Right. So that's one guy's opinion. Jeff, you've been hanging out with media from all over the world throughout this tournament. Uh, what's your sense uh, as far as this goes? Has Greg Berhalter and this U.S. men's national team changed the way that the rest of the world views American soccer? I don't think it's a quantum leap, uh, but I think little by little, the reputation is improving. Um, you know, just listening to Gareth Southgate after the England game, you know, how complimentary he was about Greg and, and, and the U.S. team. Um, you know, he talked about how tactically Greg Berhalter threw, threw a wrinkle at the English team, and it took him a while to adjust. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's going to be, you know, just all these giant steps being taken all at once, but I, I do think the reputation is improving little by little. Now, does it still have a long way to go? Yes. Um, I think, you know, the, the game against the Netherlands was – kind of a humbling experience. I mean, you know, we were hearing all kinds of things about how this Netherlands team was vulnerable, how it wasn't as good as some of their predecessors. Uh, it turned out that they were still pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, they were able to, t to take the U.S. And, and tear them apart, you know, especially in transition. So, um, again, I, I think it's, you know, it's baby steps. It, it's not going to be this, this huge leap that's going to be taken all at once. 
What's Greg Berhalter's marquee win? In the World Cup? No, no, no. Okay, in generally general. Mexico. Yeah, the Mexico wins. Which one? No, one. Pick one marquee win. Nations League. Nations that League. That was I AVA. I agree with you. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. That's the marquee win. Bruce Arena, Portugal World Cup, right? Moments stunned Mexico the world. Mexico World Cup as well, yeah. Mexico World Cup. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bob Bradley ended Spain's 36 win I mean, win run, yeah. undefeated run yeah. in Confederations League. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann beat Germany, beat Italy, beat the Netherlands, uh, beat Mexico Kay. in Azteca. Everybody before him has had a marquee win that is not just your rival. Okay. A big marquee. What are you changing? What does the world see right now? Oh, you beat Iran? Difficulty Iran team. I'm sure it was difficult. A very emotional game. It was difficult. But you're going to hang your hat for the rest of the world to think you've changed on a tie, on a draw? You're saying the England game. The, a 0-0 zero, zero draw? You're saying the England game is the, the peak kind of that, that's, result. That's, that's what you're going to hang your hat on so the rest of the world can view you differently. It's a fair point. I think you have to acknowledge what they viewed the U.S. as before this World Cup, a, a nation that had missed a the World same Cup. Thing, the same thing they view you as now. They're disciplined. They're spirited. They're oh, that's a big difference run between a round of 16 they and see not you qualifying, the same buddy. way as they've they always seen you, Seb. That's the reality. That's the reality. Okay, that's your reality. All right, uh, Jeff, one last question for you. Let's get your opinion here. Uh, what do you think U.S. soccer should do? Should they bring Greg Berhalter back for the next four years? If I had to pick one, I'd say no. Um, and the reason for that is I'm not a big fan of, of second cycles. Now, listen, I, I get the numbers that are currently out there, whether it's five of seven or six of eight mm -hmm. or whatever the number is of, of, of coaches in the quarterfinals or on their second cycle. Um, listen, all I know is how it's worked out for the U.S. And Bob Bradley didn't make it through the second cycle. Jurgen Klinsman didn't make it through the second cycle. Bruce Arena did, but that resulted in a, in a group stage exit at the 2006 World Cup. So for whatever reason, um, it, it's, it's proved to be a, a, a difficult obstacle to overcome for, for U.S. men's national team managers. Um, and, you know, I, I think there is something to the, the theory that the message gets stale, and it's kind of hard to maintain that momentum through a second cycle. So uh, that's why I would shy away from it. Um, Am I going to be torn up and apoplectic if Greg Berhalter gets hired again? No, I think, uh, you know, he's going to bring a lot of good qualities to the job like he did before. Um, but I, I do think that, again, the second cycle, I mean, that just that, that's kind of a splinter in the mind, if you will. And that's something that I can't get past. So that, that's the reason why I would go that route. So. Before I get your thoughts here, Hercules, there were seven teams that brought a second cycle coach to this World Cup. Five of them did make the quarterfinals. One of them, Senegal, who made round of 16. The big failure there is Roberto Martinez uh, with Belgium. What do you think? What's your benchmark for 2026? Is it just the fourth game? Is no, it, I think it, it has to be more at a home World it has Cup to and be with more. A, a generation Correct. entering its prime. A generation entering its prime. More and more players in the pool experiencing Europe. Greg Berhalter cannot coach his team for another cycle. Greg Berhalter did many good things, but Greg Berhalter has taken this team as far as he can take them. They need a coach, and you cast that net as far as you can, that search as wide as you can. A coach who's available and can unlock that potential of these players. You don't have world-class players. You don't have a world-class pool. You need to maximize what you do have. Get a coach who can maximize that. A coach who's better than a 40 percentile away from home win percentage in World Cup qualifying. That's a reality. You need somebody who's able to these players to know what it's like to be somewhere else. If you don't have world-class players, you better have a world-class coach. Or you better have a coach with a system that can unlock them to a benchmark that I think is not only reasonable, but expected. And that goes for Brian McBride, that goes for uh, Ernie Stewart, that goes for Cindy Parlacone, JT, Aura, all these people in that committee. There needs to be accountability for them as well. You need to know what the benchmark is. Hosting a World Cup at home, with your golden generation in their prime with a World Cup under their belt 
It's got to be more than that fourth game. I would always say, careful what you wish for. Everything that looks like an upgrade of on paper course. is not. Mexico's so a great example nothing. of let's that. Let's be nothing. I'm let's just say saying, nothing. Juan Carlos Osorio was, was run out of town. They brought in Tata Martino. Everybody thought it was an upgrade. It he wasn't run out, out of town. Like he left. Uh, let's get one more thought from Jeff here. One more thought from Jeff, because <laughs> Herc talked about benchmarks. What do you think should be the benchmark for the U.S. Uh, at home in a, two, in a 2026 World Cup? I agree with Hercules. It's got to be a quarterfinal berth um, or higher. I mean, obviously, if, if they can get go even beyond that, then you know that would be a fantastic result. But um, they are going to have that advantage of playing at home, and, and yeah, that that brings with it a special kind of pressure. You know, their expectations are going to be raised. But um, you know, I I think what it is it what is it four out of the last five times that the U.S. has qualified for the World Cup, they've gotten out of the group stage. And so I, I think it's reasonable to expect uh, that they could, you know, get to the quarterfinals on home soil. I, I think that is, is, is a reasonable ex expectation and uh, one that they should certainly shoot for. All right, there he is, Jeff Carlisle, the man who broke the news last night. U.S. Soccer Federation and Greg Berhalter set uh, to begin talks on a potential contract renewal. Jeff, great to have you with us here on Football America. Safe travels back home. All right, thanks, guys. All right, so here's the U.S. ranking in some key categories throughout the group stage. Herc, no surprise here, the defensive numbers much better than the attacking numbers. No surprise? Not to me. I mean, all the forwards were in form coming into this. It should be a surprise, but not to you. So, Based on, on what business. we saw, those numbers are definitely <laughs> not a surprise. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Various outlets now reporting that the 2024 Copa America will be played in the United States. Fox Sports Mexico specifically reporting that the tournament will feature the United States, Canada, and Mexico, as well as three other teams from CONCACAF, making up a 16-team field with four groups of four. Herc, what does this mean for the United States and CONCACAF on the whole? That they get quality competition. Mm -hmm. They don't have to rely on the CONCACAF Nations League, which is pretty much useless to everybody but the federations involved. That's a reality. And the smaller teams in CONCACAF, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to the Caribbean, I understand the necessity to get the Caribbean, Central America caught up with the rest of, if you will say, the top four. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could even lump in Honduras or Panama into that, yep. if you will. But if these nations are to have a legitimate shot of doing something on home soil, and I'm talking about the host nations, mm -hmm. Mexico, Canada, the U.S., you have to play better competition. You cannot rely on friendlies because there is no World Cup yeah. qualifying. You can't rely on a Gold Cup. You can't rely on the CONCACAF Nations League. You need to go out there, and because of the European Nations League, mm. because of these other tournaments, there are no friendlies. You can't go like you used to in High the past. High-quality friendlies. High-quality yeah. friends. You can't, and in the past, Bob Bradley, Jurgen Klinsmann, you can get Italy in Europe. Klinsmann was Belgium really good at that, Europe. right? Very good. You can get Netherlands in Europe. You can go get Germany to come down here. Whatever the case may be, you had those high-quality friendlies. You had Belgium in Cleveland. 
You had high-quality friendlies. You're not going to have that right now. You can hopefully, maybe, bank on a Peru, mm. an Argentina, maybe. But if that's what you're banking on to get yourself in shape, get yourself ready, get yourself sharpened for a 2026 World Cup, Wow. You're yep. swimming in a very shallow pool. So the tournament was originally going to be held in Ecuador. They kind of pulled out of... of Colombia, the, I believe, is a joint, wasn't it? Yeah, but Ecuador pulled out in, in November yeah. uh, of this year, said kind of, hey, we're not ready for it. I think this is exactly what you need, and it's exactly to your point. It's, it's a heightened need because there is no World Cup qualifying. What I would say is this better be just the first step. I don't think this is enough. Correct. And I think some other ideas that have been floated are out that are out there are good. I think there's there's a potential to do some business with the Asian Confederation, with the African Confederation, because we've seen UEFA and CONMEBOL hook up, right, with El yeah. Clásico that they played between Argentina and Italy. Finalissimo. The, yes, the finalissimo there. Um, I think that was a great idea from those two groups, and I think CONCACAF here needs to be aggressive. They need to see what Asia has done particularly, and I'm envisioning like a Pacific Rim tournament that would be really good for both confederations. If you get the cream of the crop from both those confederations, you're going to have a very competitive tournament. I would like to see more of this. I hope this is really, truly just the first idea of many down this road. For CONCACAF as a whole, mm -hmm. it's something you absolutely must do. If you're the U.S. men's national team, you could be sitting pretty if this comes to fruition. Oh, yeah. You could have a situation where you're involved in not only your Gold Cup mm -hmm. and eventually will have that competition, but a Copa America with great competition and Olympic Games where the majority of your players is your base should probably come out of, right? Mm -hmm. With a few exceptions. I thought the Olympics didn't matter to you. Well, if, if they give you that... Age group, I mean, don't matter to Mexico because those players don't graduate. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. But if they give you that age group and you can use them, refine them there, use it. Yeah. I mean, you could be sitting pretty every single summer leading up to the World Cup, but you need to take advantage of it. You need to maximize. And I will also add, there is no Confederations Cup. That went away. Who knows if that comes back? Yeah. We saw Finalissimo. We saw Argentina, Italy. It could be a situation where there may be now more than one nation, the United States men's national team, one confederation, or I'm sorry, one federation asking for this. Maybe they bring something back with a joint uh, or invitee few teams, if you will. And, and we can't ignore the financial significance of this. Remember, go back to 2016. They made a ton of money. What was it, 140 million surplus? Well, that, Yeah, that wasn't all from Copa America yeah, Centenario, but everybody makes good money. I think Canada's going to especially benefit from this. If you look at who they played, because yeah. remember, they had that extra round of CONCACAF qualifying. They really haven't gotten a lot of good competition. Yeah. Uh, one more quickly thing on this. Victor Montagliani, who's the president of CONCACAF, yep. he's Canadian, he didn't deny the rumors. He called them speculation and he said there was a bit of misinformation uh, around some of these tournaments. So let's, you know, before we take it as a given, uh, let's wait and see what the official word is. Of course, uh, CONCACAF has been involved, teams from CONCACAF in, in many Copa Americas, dating back to 1993 when both Mexico and the United States featured. Mexico finishing second, losing to the host Argentina way back there in 1993. Herc, you participated in the 07 one? Is that 07, right? debuted against Argentina. That was my debut. Wow, what a moment for Hercules Gomez, part of CONCACAF's history at the Copa America. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Gerardo Artiaga on Twitter, quote, every night when I go to sleep, I start to think and it feels like I wasn't there. Honestly, mm. that's how I feel. Now, Mexican players being upset, not a surprise. U.S. players, maybe a little different story. Gio Reyna also expressing uh, his displeasure on Instagram, quote, disappointing tournament. Appreciate all the love and support. Can't wait for the second half of the season, end quote. Herc. Are you cool with it? These uh, social media posts seemingly filled with post-tournament frustration. Yeah. 
both guys? I love new media. Uh huh. Scorpion Dorado with Luis Chavez. Mm -hmm. You taking your own power, using your social networks to be your own voice. I love new media. I love the way this is going. I love the way it's been going. Uh, let's dive into why. Mm -hmm. And I'll leave Luis Chavez till the end. Yeah. But uh, Gerardo Ortiaga, this is a player, one of the most talented players in that pool. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying this. Really a very talented player. If you watch him play in Belgium, if you just go look at a highlight reel, it's really highlight reel stuff. The way he brings down the ball uh, heel-wise, the yeah. way he finishes, the way he centers. Great the way in the he, final third the way with he's the cross. Great in the final third. Yeah. He's got some quality about him. But where's he been all World Cup cycle? Yeah. He's one of these players that Tata Martina, for whatever reason, didn't want to use. Do not forget the Olympics in Tokyo when he was punished for wanting to take time off. He didn't go to the Olympics. And it cost him how much time with the Mexican national team? He was one of the players vetados, a blacklisted player. He is not forgotten. He wasn't used in this World Cup when many thought Jesus Callardo was his, at his worst yep. possible moments. And Jesus Callardo, to his credit, did well for Jesus Gallardo. But that doesn't negate the fact that Gerardo Ortiaga has a case here. He maybe should have had more run than he did. Now, Giovanni Reina. Mm -hmm. Gio Reina here, he could have picked any photo. Mm -hmm. A photo of him playing. He just played a World Cup. Interesting. I didn't even look, look into it like that. He picked a photo with one of his best friends yep. who also didn't see... Well, his friend didn't see any minutes. Gio saw very little minutes. We know the drama surrounding Gio Reina, Greg Berhalter and him not playing much. Disappointing tournament for him. It was a disappointing moment for him. There are many in that camp who would say it wasn't a disappointment. Right, and that's the difference between the two players for me. One is part of a global disappointment, right? Everybody in Mexico feels it was a failure. Arteaga played zero minutes. I don't know that if you look at it from a team perspective, Gio Reyna really feels like it was a disappointing tournament. This is very much about Personal. him. Is that selfish to you? No. Or honest? <laughs> that is honest. That's, okay. that's, that's a winner. That is that mm -hmm. mentality that we're talking about. You could say what you want. He's selfish, whatever, whatever it is. I don't believe that's the case. I believe he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I believe he plays and holds himself to a different standard. So, yes, for him, barely playing, only playing in two games. One of those games, I believe he got, what, seven minutes? Something like that? Yeah, 83rd minute he came on plus stoppage time. Plus stoppage time. Yeah. And then 45 for him, in the round of 16. This is disappointing. For his standard, this is disappointing. For what he would consider a good tournament, it is disappointing. So I love that about Giovanni Reina. I am disappointed as well. Yeah. I am uh, disappointed that we still don't know what happened. I am disappointed that he didn't see the field uh, for much time. I am disappointed that when he did see the field, he was playing as a false nine, which I didn't enjoy and I'm sure he didn't enjoy. Disappointing. Now Luis Chavez. Mm. With Luis Chavez... I still cannot get over the Argentina game. Right. It reinforces None of us can. everything I already knew about Tata yeah. Martino. And the cowardness of Tata Martino to line up the way he did. And the cowardness of the Mexican Footballing Federation the moment after they lose in Edmonton to Canada. That he puts his resignation on the table to not accept it. Mm -hmm. To not accept it. How long? How long was it before the World Cup that Morocco fired their coach? Three months. Three months before the World Cup. You had it right there, the opportunity. You didn't accept his resignation. This is what happens. He's saying maybe it wasn't all on him. We didn't understand yeah. the message. Do you know why you didn't understand the message, Luis? Do you know why? Because he's asking you to do something that he's never asked you to do yes. in the biggest game of Mexico's Existence with Tata Martino. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, real quick, just to finish up on Arteaga, zero minutes in three games played. And I think that the disappointment for him is also the opportunity missed here. He's 24 years old. As you mentioned, he's done very well in Belgium. If you go back to last summer, Fulham, Leeds reportedly interested. Even a club like Manchester City was monitoring him. Newcastle taking a look at him. He probably thought, this is my chance to make that jump and to get zero minutes. I think that, that might change the trajectory and of And there career. were games for him there, too. Yes, I mean, for sure. You know you're gonna not have games, moments. I mean, you're going to have the majority of the ball against Poland. Might as well get some players you know are very good in the final third, like an attacking left back with a privileged left foot like that. All right, we got uh, more on Mexico here, because, Herc, I know that if there's one thing you love, it's stats. Um, how about this stat? L3, the team that did the third least amount of running in the group phase at this World Cup. In fact, the only teams that ran less, this according to FIFA, were Argentina and Ecuador. Uh, two teams that ran the most, by the way. The number one team, the United States. The number two team, Australia. Herc, is this something 
nothing or everything? It is everything. Now, you could easily chalk this up to, well, it's a team that has a high possession rate. So they're going to have more of the ball. You run less when mm -hmm. you have the ball. I will concede for a bit. Pero, por favor. Por favor. This is, this is a very old team. Mm -hmm. Old players do not run. And there has been a generational change long overdue with right. the Mexican national team. Not only did you not take advantage of it, but you kept players well past their prime. Right. Players that Tata Martina criticized and still played these players. In games that made no sense, Guardado versus Argentina didn't last a half, mm -hmm. had to come out. Hector Herrera versus Argentina wasn't to his agrado, to his liking. Hector Moreno, Memo Ochoa, who, great. But keeping Memo Ochoa and then the backup to him, Talavera, and the backup to him, Rodocota, only blocks a Carlos Acevedo. So while the rest of the teams are trending younger, because it's a young man's game, mm -hmm. Mexico got older. So while the rest of the teams are giving players 22, 23 years of age World Cup experience, Mexico gave no player under the age of 23 years old World Cup experience, which means what, Zebby? 2026 going to be tough. No World Cup experience for players under 26 years of age come next World Cup. The damage that Tata Martino and this federation mm. did in this World Cup is going to be felt for a long time to come. So when people see running numbers, I just need a quick answer from you here. They might view it as like this team didn't try. It's not an effort thing, it's right? It's not an effort okay. thing. So because I see it as two things. One, what you talk about, which is style, right? Maybe some teams just stylistically will run less. The other thing is the tactics, the setup. And I think specifically that Argentina game, the team was not set up to run. The team was set up to against everything that we know about Absorb, Mexican football defend. and DNA yeah. to sit back and defend. So that strategy not only cost them uh, in terms of the scoreboard in that game, I believe, but also in this statistic yep. It was here. set up to run for two players, yeah. Alexis Vega yeah. and Chucky Lozano. And basically running like chickens with their heads cut off, right? Yep. No connectivity there or anything else. Uh, why don't we take a look then at some more running numbers um, from this World Cup because I think uh, FIFA has been dropping stats. And, and there you see it, Herc. USA number one. The, the kids putting in that work, and it, it paid off. Got them through the group phase at least. Yeah, and you can see Costa Rica and Mexico, two of the oldest teams, <laughs> not only in CONCACAF, but in this World Cup and how it affected them. I think it's very obvious that this is a young man's game, and you needed that youth. You needed that tactical setup to help them in any sort of way which they did not receive. Yeah, and it also, you know, it, it changes how the game is played from, from World Cup to World Cup. You see uh, a lot more running this time than maybe uh, four years ago. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Netherlands and Argentina going down tomorrow. The back and forth has already started. Louis van Gaal in a press conference today asked about comments from Argentina's Angel Di Maria that harken back to their time together at Manchester United. Di Maria on the record is saying, quote, our relationship was broken. I wanted to get the hell out of United, end quote. Here's van Gaal's response from today on the podium. Hier zit er nog één naast mij. Memphis Depay. Die was ook bij uh, Manchester. En nu zoenen we elkaar op de mond. Dat gaan we niet doen, hè? Nee. Maar zo gaat dat in... in... All right, how about the other side of the matchup? Of course, Argentina, who actually have some significant health concerns. Manager Lionel Scaloni saying both Angel Di Maria and Rodrigo De Paul are, quote, fine. Insert meme wherever you want. Di Maria had a muscular issue before uh, Argentina-Australia in the round of 16. Reports in Argentina hinting that De Paul did not fully participate in today's session and may be a bigger doubt. Now, those reports did not go down particularly well with Scaloni, 
who when asked by an Argentina <laughs> reporter, responded in this way, quote, why are you asking me about Paul? The training was behind closed doors. I don't know if you support Argentina or Netherlands. Again, uh, that <laughs> from Scaloni to a member of Argentina's press corps. Speaking of, we now welcome in our colleague from ESPN Argentina, Morena Beltran. More, great to have you with us. Thank Bienvenida. You. Wonderful. Gracias. More. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to me to be here with you. So we're going to talk about football, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and you're going to break down some tactics for us, but okay. I want to get kind of your impression of, of what we saw from Scaloni mm -hmm. there, because he says almost that the press should be friendly to the national team, yeah. right? They shouldn't hurt the national team by giving away too much information. You're part of the press. Yeah. How do you feel about that oh i think uh is his way like is his behavior escaloni always been like that mm -hmm. maybe he, he uh, he's like a new coach and he's a start his his path in argentina uh, with no experience before and he's like uh, he has to adapte to to the press and everything, but it's logical. If the ball has something, he's if he's injured or he hadn't complete the the, the session, it's it, it's a new and he has to he has to tell us, right? I think I think as a leader, he has to confirm or not, and and it would be like. Uh, no, it's not bad, right? It's 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 something that happens. Maybe he could sit and say, "Yes, Rodrigo didn't make the the full session. It's normal because a, a lot of players uh, had the same situation. Maybe they if they didn't finish the the match or the game as uh, with an injury or something, and it's normal. It's it's completely normal. So I don't know why he took it like a, mm -hmm. a defensive way. I think maybe. Maybe uh, he was talking to someone inside that okay he didn't he didn't finish the session but it was uh, uh, closed doors, doors yes so how the press knows mm. so maybe it's something that it's a message a message from to the inside yeah, yeah. To the hey inside. let's lock it down let's yeah. not be sharing that information okay. yeah. um, Herc we've heard something along these similar mm. lines a few World Cups ago from the England team the English press gives all the information that they can and at some point uh, I forget which England manager it was but it was kind of like hey y'all here to help us or hurt us give me the players perspective like what do you expect from your press corps from the press corps nothing yeah, nothing to communicate what they see that is their job mm. you can't have a situation where the press is biased in a way right their job is not to cheerlead mm. to promote it's to inform. be truth tellers to inform yep. what they see so him asking the press blatantly like whose side are you on that's just amateur hour. Yeah. That's him showing that he's never been at this level. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, uh, it's a message that it's not, uh, how do you say it? Like, uh, you put the public against the press. And right. It's, and it's, it, it's not the moment, right? right? Like, we are doing our job. We, of course, we we pray that Rodrigo de Paul is a hundred percent good to play because it's a really important player for Argentina. And we hope that. Right, yeah. we 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 don't want to to him to be injured, but it's the reality. And I think maybe uh, he was uh, uh, less injured that that we thought. Okay. Because the the medical is, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the test they gone really well, but it is what it is. <laughs> okay, let's assume that yeah. Rodrigo de Paul can't play. Yeah. How would that impact what Argentina does tomorrow against the Dutch? I think uh, uh, Rodrigo plays or not, it wouldn't make the difference in the midfield because mm -hmm. we always play with with three and Leo, okay. Messi. Like Messi, it's, it, it goes wherever he wants Yeah, to, to get the ball. So if it's not Rodrigo, this one, because Argentina, is, it's more like the diamond, right? With the like this, and Angel. I'm gonna talk to whoever set this board up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and Angel Di Maria decide. I think the the depth of Scaloni, if um, this player Di Maria mm -hmm. plays uh, from the start, or uh, he adds uh, a new 
Center back. Mm. Yeah, I line knew of three. center back. Yeah, That's line of interesting three. to me because if you look at Van Gaal and the teams that have done well against Van Gaal, they've been teams that have deployed three center backs. Kind of the mirror formation. The mirror formation, yeah. if you will. They've had success. Ecuador did that against uh, against this Netherlands team and Louis Van Gaal, and it was very effective. What we saw versus the U.S. men's national team for the Netherlands that was very oh. effective is that he had Memphis, yeah. Gakpo, Gakpo, and Klassen, and they went man on. So they went center backs right here and Klassen was with the defensive midfielder so yeah. that could be Adams. The, yeah, exactly but okay. that could be DePaul here and DePaul's been known as Messi's bodyguard right yeah, yeah. Espalda de Messi, no? yes yes okay. yes 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 like uh, Rueda de Auxilio uh -huh. how do you say it <laughs> like safety net yeah safety yeah net. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this one it, Rodrigo always plays this side but he's always uh, near the ball so he 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 goes to the center back and and ask for the ball and do like the job similar to the number five like we, mm -hmm. we say or the, the or the midfielder the defensive midfielder that yes. uh, uh, um, like I, I think on the on the ideal of Scaloni uh, would be Paredes, but now Enzo Fernandez is doing really well. So the number five would be Enzo Fernandez, the ball like here, and and that would be that would be for me something that uh, I I would like to see if that's a problem for Netherlands because Argentina I, I don't think is it, it's a team that respects the, their positions. It's like uh, they are. Uh, moving all the time. More free-flowing. Yeah. So if the if if some I don't know if Klassen goes to Enzo Fernandez, I think uh, uh, the ball can appear here or Enzo Fernandez if it's not the ball, and he they can make a two-one there. Like they they can start moving and then in another level like uh, how do you say it cuadrado? Yeah, square. Yeah, like a square. So maybe they can they can make the. Uh, the the four three on the on the on the they center. can have superior uh, a numerical yeah. advantage in the yeah. midfield advantage. Uh, that's yeah. one of the issues right there with uh, Netherlands versus the U.S. is you have a player in Frankie De Jong. Yeah. And Frankie De Jong, whether it was Darun or anybody else next to him. Yeah. It was almost like he was free because mm. everybody else was matched up and he had the liberty of receiving, yeah. turning, and Whatever playing that pass that would uh, pretty much kill you. So I've kind of lost track here who's Messi, <laughs> but let's, let's focus in on Messi because everybody's going to be watching him tomorrow. What is it that this Argentina team does, that Scaloni does in this setup to bring the best out of Messi? Because certainly mm. against Australia, he just looked like, and I said this to her, he looked like, 10 years ago, Messi. Every time he mm. got the ball, he was in a dangerous spot and he was doing something with it. What are they doing to bring the best out of him? I think uh, Messi always had like a playmaker soul. Mm. Like he, like he's not normal, right? We, yeah. That's that's the point. <laughs> I like how you put yeah. that. He's not normal. Yeah. He's not normal. Like he has everything that a, a good football player uh, would have. Like he has the, be the best of Iniesta, the best of Xavi, the best of uh, of a striker, a, a top goal scorer because he's like a playmaker, but he uh, steals. Uh, he steals making goals. Yeah. So, uh, I con think, goles, no? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A team with goals. It's like uh, I think the. Um, Escaloni understood that he's like older uh, and he is uh, nowadays uh, the best, uh, how do you say it, lanzador? No, he's uh, making these passes, yeah. distributor. Yeah, yeah, he's the best one. So he needs uh, he needs the, 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 the team uh, all around the, the ball and, and he has a, a lot of players to, to play. He can he can appear from here and use Acuna decide to make that that uh, famous play with Jordi Alba that made in mm -hmm. Barcelona, for example. But he can play with Di Maria or uh, or change with Di Maria, and then he can attack. Uh, and, and Julian Alvarez come here. So I think Messi has like the best context to be a playmaker, and that was uh, that was Scaloni understood that he needed freedom. He needed freedom, and and. He needed like a lot of midfielders that could speak the same language as him. That uh, if you see uh, De Paul, uh, Paredes, or Enzo Fernandez, Alexis McAllister, they are all um, how do you say it? Enganches. Yeah, in they're Argentina. like tens at heart. Yeah. Let, yeah. One last quick question Everyone. here um, from the Argentina defensive perspective. Yeah. What's your biggest worry about the Netherlands? How they attack? What's the vulnerability oh. here for Argentina? <laughs> of course, uh, Blind and Dumfries. And Dumfries. Of yeah. course, I think Argentina uh, should uh, wait. Uh, not 
not really near Dibu Martinez, but I think the best way to defend these players that need spaces is like to eliminate the spaces. Yeah, yeah, that they have to think, they have to, they have to make uh, passes, passes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think that Argentina, if if waits a little, if like make like. like like for, for so you two. want Argentina to sit back? Yeah. Because it's been not, the Netherlands. Not, yeah, not so no, not so near, but like at the middle. I think if you uh, don't give spaces to them, then it's more difficult because you have Frankie the Young uh, really uh, far away from the goal. Yeah, really yes, far which away. Is what you want. Yeah, uh, you don't have so much spaces to to Dumfries to to hurt. So I think that is. That is the best way, like to go to a side and a side and a side. And I think, uh, anyways, um, Netherlands wi will wait, Argentina. I have two things for you, very okay. quickly. Can you show me that pass that Messi made famous with Jordi Arba that you say Argentina wants to make? Oh, that Argentina yeah. wants to exploit? Of course. I think Argentina uh, makes this movement really well because they attract the defense to the side, like. Well, they have to close, right? <laughs> so Argentina moved the ball really here with Di Maria. Maybe Molina can can go that way. This could be Leo. So they they start moving the... Um, I already lost. Oh, this is the ball. So <laughs> maybe they, they can uh, start here. No, uh, Nikitas, yeah, yeah. This is Messi, like, okay. I think. He's, he's always got the, got the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, has, he has the ball. So they start making passes here. They they, they, they put together the midfielders and the... The, the weak side run. They yeah. Attract, they, num they give players we need, we need to put the Yeah, run. yeah. All the, all the defensive to, to our right and then turn to left. That really uh, happened with, with Poland. Okay. I think uh, Acuna didn't finish so well some 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 attacks, but it was really clear that the play uh, that we can hurt uh, Poland this, this okay. way. And, and finally, my, my last question here is: We saw the number of distance covered by the national teams here at the World Cup. The U.S. men's national team was actually the best at running. It, last place in that was actually Argentina in the group phase. Mm. This isn't the same Argentina we saw at Copa America when it comes to intensity, when it comes to running. They're a little bit slower. How will that affect versus a Netherlands team that kind of just sits? Uh, if I understood, <laughs> I think we uh, we are not going to see like uh, the same version of Argentina's in Argentina in Copa America because I think like a World Cup, it's really different to any tournament that Argentina played. So I think the players are more are like maybe more nervous or they can play as freedom as they as they uh, used to do like in in other competitions uh, that. Maybe our long term. Uh, this is not the case, and a World Cup it's really different. So maybe uh, an Scaloni uh, made a, a good, uh, like uh, a, a good decision. Yeah. yeah. No, or in, in press conference oh, he okay. said something really interesting. Declaration that, statement. Yeah. yeah. Statement. That, that that's it. That he said like um, uh, in in the World Cups um, maybe the team that attacks the more won't win. Yes. It, it will win the, the team that it's clever, that it understands that when you have the moment, you have to, like... Capitalize. Yeah, 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 yeah to kill the opponent. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I think Argentina is doing that because if you see, like, uh, our first um, parts of the of the matches, we are, like, more control. We, we don't use so much speed. We mm. don't uh, move the ball so fast. We are, like, okay, let's try to... Uh, um, the less things happen, like the opponent won't uh, have possibilities, and then I think Argentina tries to uh, to the the situations appears. It's like right. uh, it's not forcing anything. Right. So be and simple, be pragmatic. And yeah, yes. I think we won't see like the same version on Copa America because. Uh, it's it's a different thing. It's a different uh, situation, and it's we we can't forget that it's the I think the last World Cup of Leo. Mm. So I think that means a lot. <laughs> All right.
Uh, Morena Beltran, great to have you here with us on <laughs> Football Americas. Incredible expertise, incredible <gasps> perspective you. on Argentina and Netherlands. Let's take a look at what the computers okay. and odds makers are saying ahead of tomorrow's quarterfinal between these two iconic teams, uh, as well as the Morocco. Portugal quarterfinal, uh, England and France as well. Of course, uh, those games will be going down on Saturday. And uh, there we see it, the SPI and the odds for two of the four quarterfinals. All right, then it is time to check dimensions here on Football Americas, our uh, favorite part of the show where we take your questions or questions from just anybody in the family. Luis Enrique just got canned, and somehow Hansi Flick will stay around. Of course, uh, Luis Enrique, the manager of Spain, we found out that uh, he won't be coming back for La Furia Roja. And then uh, Hansi Flick, who just took over in Germany, even though they got bounced in the group phase, uh, will be sticking around. And the question here is, which example should Canada follow? Continuity, like the Germans, or change, like the Spanish? Uh, Herc, what you going with? Oh, you man. who love John Herdman, we should say. I do love John Herdman. Yeah. I, I think you got to roll the dice with John Herdman again. Again. Yeah. So, Hansi Flick, because it's un proyecto, right? And John Herdman's... This is not a situation like Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter didn't take this program where they've never been before, right? Right. Uh, yes, Canada was at a World Cup before. But I don't think Canada's last World Cup 1986 did they feel good about certain performances like they did, per se, Belgium. No, and let's be honest about how they qualify. They qualify because Mexico's the host and there's not, right? Exactly. U.S. isn't what it was. It was a different world back then. This World Cup cycle, they qualified because they were the best team yeah. in this World Cup cycle because they had a culture, an attitude, offensively, defensively. I think you got to roll the die with them again, dice with them again, excuse me, uh, and he's back. All right, uh, next here on Check Dimensions, we're talking about a player you, you may have heard of. Who? He's in the headlines a little bit right now. Cristiano Ronaldo, who apparently did not train with the reserves after he was, you know, effectively I don't reserved. Know, California robot. That's following not, is the that his round face? of 16, I see Ronaldo is taking a stand by not training with the subs. Is that too much to handle for Fernando Santos, or this the end for Ronaldo with Portugal? Herc, what say you? I think this is actually being blown way out of proportion. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo started all three group phase games, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's a period, especially for his age, what is he, 37, 38 years old? Yeah. 38 years old, let's just say he's at. Your body doesn't recuperate as much. You don't train in the World Cup. All you do is pretty much recuperate. Right. The reserves who are out there at some sense or form are only getting a sweat in to go back in. Right. It's nothing strenuous. It's nothing crazy. Your job at a World Cup is to play games, is to recuperate when you're not playing games. I see this as part of the regimen, part even of the Even in the context of all the other even stuff going on. Even in the context on, of everything else. The disrespect else, to Santos coming off the even field the against disrespect, South Korea. Yes, he, he's paid that due. Okay. I, I think this is something different, and now we are looking to blow it out of proportion. Okay. Do you think he'll start the rest of the way or no? The rest of the way? Yeah. Sure. Really? Next game? No. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, let's get to our final question here on Check the Mentions. Of course, a quarterfinal coming up tomorrow between Brazil and Croatia. And a scene from Brazil's press conference has gone viral. I guess one of the uh, press officers there for Brazil with at least what looks to be kind of a brutal handling of the cats. Boy, the cats are everywhere here in Doha. Cats I mean, it really is, uh, is overwhelming. Herc, we haven't really uh, touched on this game too much yet. How do you see it going between Brazil and Croatia? This is a very difficult game for Croatia. I know okay. that they got some <laughs> very good players. Uh, Modric, Perisic, who scored again another yep. big moment under his uh, curriculum, under his resume. But if you look at the age of some of those players and yep. you look at how much they've run per game, we saw the stand. They were number two in the amount of games ran, I believe. Or, or they were in the top five, yeah. I should say. U.S. Australia were top two. But yes, yeah. yes. But it, that graphic has changed because we went first went per game and then per 90 minutes. So it's changed. Um, but, apologies, bear with me. But one of the teams that ran the most. Mm. So add that to this team, 120 minutes that they just went through with an already rested team in Brazil who did nine changes versus Cameroon, who, who had the benefit of bringing back Neymar, who was injured, but that means he was rested physically throughout and then rested more players in the second half. I think this Brazil team is going to be too much. Yeah, and I get the sense that Croatia, for all they've accomplished, like they don't win games. No. You know, they, they, they've got 
two zero zero draws. It's it's penalties in the round of sixteen. So Canada's the only win, right? Canada's the only win, and as you've said many times, that was kind of a naive uh, Canada. I think Brazil win and probably end up winning comfortably. Final thoughts here on Football Americas as we turn to our parting shot, and it has to do with another thing that Herc loves: referees. Boom. Concacaf didn't go far in this tournament, as far as. The players are concerned, but the refs are definitely moving on. Cesar Ramos of Mexico, Ismael Elfaz of the United States, and Ivan Barton of El Salvador all moving on into the quarterfinals in some role or another. Uh, Herc, what does this tell us about the level of CONCACAF when it comes to the referees? This blows my mind. Really? Because don't course. we always complain about Liga MX refs and well, MLS refs? And yes. Obviously, yes. these are the best of the best. But... Even those best of the best within their own circles, people are like, how did they get there? Right. And, and hats off because every single one of them has been outstanding, yeah. honestly. You don't get this far if you're not doing the I'm good I'm not work. talking about outstanding MLS or outstanding right. Liga MX or you're outstanding here at this in tournament. America and El Salvador. No, this tournament, yeah. they've been very good. Outstanding work. I, I don't have one thing I can say that is negative about any of those. Yeah. Uh, we've watched pretty much every single game, too. Yeah. A credit to CONCACAF there, uh, if not the teams. We're still here. At least the rest. We're That'll do it for this here. edition of Football Americas for Hercules Gomez, producer Beto, the crew in L.A., the crew in Bristol. Thanks for watching. We will be back tomorrow for another edition of the show. As always, you can catch us at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live right here on ESPN Plus, as soon as the second game of the day is done. We'll see you then.